G'day legends, I hope that you're doing well. Now I've done some controversial interviews in the past, but I don't think any will be as controversial as this one. So today I introduce you to Coombe. Now who is Coombe? Well Coombe has served in many areas around the world with various Russian PMCs, including the infamous Wagner PMC, who has been in the news this week for uh, financer Yevgeny Prigozhin and one of the founders, Dmitry Utkin, being taken out in a plane crash. And yes, we do discuss this. Now, Coombe has served multiple contracts within the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the so-called special military operation, and was wounded and shot. And we discuss over this why he's going, the ideologies involved, fighting Westerners. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Now, this may be a little bit difficult to watch because it was being live, interpreted, translated to myself. So if you'd like subtitles, the cog down the bottom right of the screen, you can click on that, go to auto-translate, and then pick your language. That may be an easier way to watch this. So go over a few little bits and pieces. So we talk about why he joined these PMCs and then the operation into Ukraine, the war there, how he was shot on a storm mission. We, of course, talk about Prigozhin. We talk about Westerners being involved in Wagner PMC and fighting against Westerners. Now, I will say at some points in this interview, we did get stuck in the weeds, sort of in some ideologies, and I did try and draw us out of that when I could. But there are different aspects in this. We talk a lot about getting into the operation in the start. The middle is then about uh, the sort of the ideology involved and then some more technical stuff at the end around fighting, getting shot, bits and pieces like this. But a quick disclaimer, clarification on interview content. The following interview contains discussions that touch upon various historical and educational topics, some of which might include sensitive or controversial subjects. It is important to note that the opinions expressed by the interviewee are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the interviewer, the website, or any affiliated parties. The intention behind this interview is to provide a platform for a diverse range of perspectives and to foster a better understanding of different historical events, ideologies, and viewpoints. We acknowledge that some of the content discussed might involve misinformation or reference ideologies that have been associated with extremism or terrorism. However, it is crucial to reiterate that the inclusion of such content is for educational and historical purposes only. We strongly condemn any form of violence, terrorism or misinformation and are committed to promoting a safe and respectful environment for learning and discussion. The interview should be approached with an open mind and critical thinking, recognising that it is an opportunity to learn from the past and to be informed about various perspectives that have shaped our history. Readers and viewers are encouraged to verify information independently and engage in constructive dialogue while keeping in mind the context of the interview. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can contribute to more informed and educated society. Okay, so thank you for your understanding and responsible engagement. Hope you enjoy the rest of the interview. Thank you. How are we? How was your day? Hey, Matthew. Hello, how are you? Fine. Thank you. Oh, good. It's nice to meet you, Kum. Thank you. Um, nice to meet you too. Awesome. So, Ivan, <laughs> I, I, I like your hat. Oh, yeah. It might remind me you of something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very Afghan. Where did you get this from? Uh, <laughs> what his work? Uh, in Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll be alright 
who will drink some tea. Oh, mate, I've got my tea ready as well. Red. Yeah. Tea, tea and Red Bull, eh? Yeah, yes, of course. We like caffeine and nicotine, you know. <laughs> the main reason the army stands. <laughs> mate, every army in the world, caffeine and nicotine, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Hey, look, let's just get let's just get straight into it. Um, firstly, gents, uh, I want to thank you for actually setting this up. I haven't really seen you know much um, along these lines that people have done, and you know, Wagner PMC's been in the spotlight a lot recently. Um, Continue, please. Yeah, so thank you very much for, for joining me. You're welcome. Awesome. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so can we just get a quick a rundown on... Uh, we, we know we know about you, Ivan. We know your story um, from the last podcast uh, and how you volunteered to help me here. Um, can we get a quick rundown on... Kum's experience, um, both soldiering and in the then special military operation. Он хочет спросить тебя о том, соответственно, каков был твой опыт в то время, когда ты непосредственно служил вооруженных сил, и как ты вообще дошел до того, что подписал контракт с каким-то чуваком одним. Окей, хорошо. Дальше я буду говорить по-русски. У нас в России как вы знаете, существует э, призывная армия. As you may know that we in Russia have a draft army, э, которая не ведет никаких боевых действий. Э, люди, гражданские ребята, молодые, получают просто военную учетную специальность. Most of our army and military doesn't make any kind of fights, war and stuff, and just young people from the civil a society, let's call it like that, are getting themselves some kind of military specialization. Все началось именно с призывной армии. Когда я попал в подразделение легкой пехоты. Well, everything began with him joining and being drafted by the Russian military. Well, he got himself into the light infantry. Uh, basically, in Russia, light infantry is the same as in any other Western country. Light infantry, it means you have a lot of luggage and it's not light at all. <laughs> I, I can relate. I can I tell him I can relate. I was also light infantry. После службы в призывной армии я, имея уже высшее образование, устроился на обычную гражданскую работу, на которую проработал довольно длительное время, построив определенную карьеру, работав в итоге, ну, попав в уважаемые международные компании. И, соответственно, у меня в жизни все было замечательно, ни, ни в чем не было недостатка, все шло своим чередом. Well, basically, the man tells us that after the mandatory service, he had already a higher education, so basically he just got himself enlisted to some kind of international organization that was working in analytics and stuff. 
And the dude was working in an office for a few years after that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ну, в общем-то, да. да, да. That's all. And, uh... uh, затем так получилось, что uh, я стал несколько уставать от uh, однообразной рутины и uh, парадигмы развития моей жизни. He got tired from the routine of his life working as an office clerk and decided to change something. Uh, в этот период времени со мной вышел на связь мой старый сослуживец из легкой пехоты и предложил uh, работу по контракту за рубежом. Uh, during that time one of his old uh, colleagues from the army, his brothers in arms, called him and told him that, man, I have a nice vacancy for you working in, a, in, in the international sector, let's call it that, of and, the army. <laughs> and, and, and which which unit was that in particular? And how old was Coombe at the time? Uh, which unit he was drafted to? Uh, no, when, when his friend called him and said, I've got an opening for you. Uh, what year was this? Like, how old? That company is highly demonized by the West and basically nobody talked about it or knew about it until the start of the special military operation. Okay, so w which specific company is this? Can you say? Какая именно? В честь одного австрийского дирижера. It's called by the name of a very famous composer. Oh yes, okay, <laughs> yes. So it, so Wagner PMC as the as the patch in the background. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that that makes sense. And and when what year was this? Какое именно подразделение, то есть какие функции ты там выполнял? Я выполнял различные функции. Ограничимся такой информацией в рамках подписанных мной документов. He had a lot of different functions in the company he worked for, but unfortunately, well, <laughs> having the borders of what he might say to this interview, unfortunately, doesn't have the possibility to tell you everything. But he had a lot of different specialities. There. Okay. Но ничего, ничего особенного в целом. Uh, ничего героического или противозаконного uh, в рамках закона как Российской Федерации, так и международного гуманитарного права uh, не происходило ни в моем присутствии, ни при моем участии. Uh, he basically says that he didn't do anything interesting. Mostly his uh, serve was bore, <laughs> boring. And unfortunately for the story of today, and fortunately enough for us, he didn't saw or did anything criminal according to the Russian Federation laws or to the international humanitarian laws. 
right. of Geneva Convents, for example. <laughs> he's not a war criminal. He's just a bit insane. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer there. Um, so what was this, you can't say the specific date, but was this before the invasion of Ukraine in 2022 that he had joined the PMC? Он, понимаешь, не может назвать какие-то конкретные даты, и было ли это непосредственно перед началом СВО. Да, это было перед началом СВО. Организация на тот момент занималась тем, что заканчивала затяжную гражданскую войну в одной из зарубежных стран на другом континенте. Well, it was before the special military operation, and uh, basically the company was ending a really huge civil war on our continent. Okay. And where else has Coombe served other than Ukraine? Where else has Coombe served other than Ukraine? Пожалуй, нигде. Не служил, не получал ни за что деньги и так далее. Опыт у меня только такой. Солвис экспириенс, beside Украины и другие континенты, он не служил много. И он не работал где-то другое. It's pretty much close to the ocean. <laughs> yes, right. I'm sure people can read between the lines here. And in that job, was it purely, as people say, mercenary work for the money? Or was it for, uh, I guess, Russia? Я это делал во имя идеи. Идея состояла э, в очень простом и понятном нарративе, если ты сможешь перевести, э, в том, чтобы э, устаканить мир, э, вернуть мир в какое-то равновесие, что ли. Потому что мы работали в той стране, когда некогда... Она некогда была замечательной страной на самом деле. Но, к сожалению, западная коалиция сделала из этой страны ужасную помойку. И компания, организация, в которой я работал, она занималась тем, чтобы в этой стране люди просто перестали убивать друг друга каждый день в очень большом количестве. Uh, the first and main reason of his service during the contract, during his first contract, was the idea. He served for the idea. Money was a nice thing, but first more, it was the idea. The idea of the fact that, according to his narrative, he wanted to see a more balanced world. Because before the Western coalition made that country a shithole, it was a pretty nice, nice place. It was a... Uh, Great place, perfect society, nice city. People there were much happy. Before some unfortunate things happened, and the Western Coalition bombed the government and the official forces into the Stone Age, and a civil war broke through. Yeah, so that. Uh, no, maybe some more questions. 
I would like you to ask him a few questions that could uh, continue our story here. Yes, okay. And at what point did then Coombe enter Ukraine? At what point did he enter Ukraine? К сожалению, практически с самого начала, предваряя вопрос о своей мотивации, хотел бы сказать, что мне очень не хотелось, чтобы эта война начиналась, и в принципе не хотелось идти на войну. Но так получилось, и про мотивацию мы поговорим в следующем вопросе. And unfortunately, he started from the beginning of the special military operation, his service, and um, basically did it. Чёрт, я сбился. Так давай, подожди, давай сначала. Начал служить. He didn't want the war to start and from the beginning. He didn't want the war to be in the first place. Да, потому что. Я видел, что война делает со страной, с государством, и мне не хотелось бы повторения этого на границах Российской Федерации. Но есть нюанс. He didn't want a war at all, and basically didn't want to fight in a war anymore. But he will have about the thought that this war come across our border and start here. And there are a few nuances that he will answer about his motivation later in your further questions. <laughs> yes. No, I appreciate I appreciate the honesty. Um, and also, yeah, I'm very interested in, in the motivations for uh, then going to Ukraine uh, with the PMC. Давай так, Мэтт. Мы можем определиться с понятиями. Can we have a definition of a few words here? Uh, yes. On... In a more special way. Понимаешь ли ты, Мэтью, разницу между добровольцем, наемником и кадровым военнослужащим? He asks you, do you know the difference between a volunteer uh, in Russian language, добровольец и волонтер? The, uh, volunteer and dobrovolets have a similar meaning but a much like uh, much different let's say motivation and uh, meaning in its core of the word itself do you understand the difference between a dobrovolets a volunteer a mercenary and an officer of the army i think that i do but i i would like you i guess uh, i'd like whom to I guess, give that the definition of how uh, the Russian aspect of that is. Они преследуют, они не могут преследовать финансовую составляющую вопроса, не могут. По той простой причине, что ставки в этой работе слишком высоки. У тебя должна быть внутренняя 
не материальная мотивация заниматься этой работой. Well, the main aspect of the word mercenary and volunteer have a common sense in it. You don't go to war for money. You don't go to war for cash because the risks are too high. You see the point? And basically you go there because you have some kind of a higher motivation to fight for. Have a higher motivation to go to war to, you see? Если кадровый военнослужащий идет на войну по приказу сверху, то волонтер, как и так называемый наемник, идут по, по зову сердца. If uh, army officer, uh, full-time contract military person goes to war because he has the order to do so, a uh, man from a volunteer corpus or a man as a mercenary goes to war because his heart desires so, because his spirit thinks it's the right thing to do. Возможно, на Западе разница между волонтером и наемником действительно присутствует, потому что, насколько я знаю, западные PMC получают по нашим меркам баснословные деньги просто очень большие. Um, might be that in the western side of the world and the western point of view, there is a difference between a mercenary and a volunteer because it might be that according to our rumors at least, the mercenaries in the west from the western private military companies earn a salary that is absolutely legendary and huge, at least from our point of view and our, let's say, living standards. И это при том, что характер работы западных PMC, он несколько отличается, ну не то, что несколько, он очень сильно отличается частенько от характера работы отечественных, ну, наших российских добровольческих или частных военных компаний. And it might be that there is a huge difference between the, let's say, state of work, the stability of work, and how they actually work in the western side of the mercenary community, and the differences between them and the Russian private military companies and volunteer corpuses. The difference is uh, a lot of details in itself. And the difference between a, let's say, Western mercenary and Russian mercenary is that before this point, before the point of the start of the special military operation, Western PMCs never truly fought, uh, let's call them true militaries, real armies, with a technical level that even that matches them in the way one to one right uh, и соответственно uh, 
PMC на Западе мог рассчитывать на заработок с некоторым риском для жизни. Сотрудник ЧВК в России копает глубже, смотрит глубже, не на далеко не на материальную составляющую вопроса. Люди, идущие в ЧВК, прежде всего мотивированы идеей патриотизма, либо идеей какой-то справедливости. And if the Western private military mercenary yeah, goes to war mostly just to earn money, then the Russian mercenary or the mercenaries here in the post-Soviet uh, community go to war for because they have a highly patriotic values and they have a special worldview that gives them the opportunity to risk it all to have uh, more order and justice in this world. Right. So joined out of more... Anyways, ask us a question because we are starting a monologue over here. <laughs> hey, that's fine. Joining, joining more out of patriotism than uh, for money and wanting to protect, I guess, Russia. Repeat that one more time, please. Sorry. So earning out of, uh, so joining more from patriotism, uh, more so uh, than for money. So it's for protecting Russia, not for, I guess, the, the reward at the end of the month for money, which is, I guess, uh, what a lot of people think about why people join groups like Wagner or Potok or one of these rather than the traditional state military. Mostly because it's patriotism and not money, and because they understand that they need a more justified world here, <laughs> more justice in the world. Знали, сколько получает э, в среднем э, сотрудник российских ЧВК, вы бы просто не поверили, что люди будут заниматься за эти деньги подобной работой. If you would heard about how, uh, let's say, average Russian PMC gets salary, in what conditions and what kind of salary he has, you wouldn't believe that a sane person would go to a PMC to fight and risk his life for such small cash. Right, okay. And then, well, what is then Coombs' thoughts towards the Ukrainians and the Ukrainian fighters as he chose to go to Ukraine under these contractors to go and fight? What is his thoughts towards then the people there? Каковы твои размышления, каково твое мнение об украинских боевиках и противниках с той стороны, пока ты служил на слово? В принципе, по сравнению с остальными предыдущими оппонентами, с которыми сталкивались наши воюющие подразделения, даже в том числе в мирное время, но в основном за границей, за рубежом, потому что мы русские уничтожили ИГИЛ в свое время, 
русские закончили очень большое количество гражданских войн на африканском континенте. И сейчас да, русские пытаются навести порядок у своих границ и сталкиваются с практически зеркальным противником. Потому что Украина, украинцы, это все еще ментально часть большого славянского мира. Это люди, воспитанные, ну, старшее поколение людей, воспитанные на тех же самых патриотических фильмах из Советского Союза. Они работали по тем же лекалам, что и наша российская армия. Это очень серьезный противник, которого не стоит недооценивать. Это очень опасный противник. Это те же самые практически мы, которые находятся на более высоком уровне материального обеспечения. Да, материальное обеспечение крадется, но тем не менее они его имеют. И это их неплохое преимущество. Ну, ты, конечно, выдул. Прости. Um, let me translate it in my head firstly. First of all, when we talk about his military experience, the guy tells us that basically the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian forces are in a much higher technical state than any other militaries he had fought before. Uh, the Russian PMCs and the Russian army, yeah, the fighting part of it, even in the times of peace, will did a lot of work, have a lot of experience in fighting and ending civil wars in Africa and other continents and countries. They've seen a lot of different enemies, but basically Ukraine and the Ukrainian people are just our own mirror. They mirror us because they are the same people as us. The more old uh, generation, the elder generation that lives there currently, saw the same movies as our elder generation did. They have the same values in life and they work and live to, according to the same standard. They think about the same things and basically they have the same lives. And unfortunately, Ukraine itself and the Ukrainian people are just like us. We are part of the Slavic world. And this Slavic world is uh, very much, let's say, common. We have the same problems everywhere. <laughs> We have the same mentality and that's the problem. In some way, we could call it a civil war, even. Uh, yes, himself. <clears throat> right. So, is there any hate towards the Ukrainian people from Kun? Hate? Hate. Like, hate? Yes. Yes, you can name it, Kaklan. Absolutely not. Я не ненавижу Kaklan, я просто хочу убить каждого врага своей страны. 
He doesn't hate Ukrainians. He just wants to kill every single enemy of his Marland. And and he sees that the Ukrainian fighters are enemy of Russia, although Russia was the one that stepped then across the the border. Он спрашивает, видишь ли ты украинцев как своих врагов и врагов своей нации, несмотря на то, что это типа Россия первая перепрыгнула через границу и начала эту войну. Да. Давай, Мэтью, сейчас я озвучу свой казус Белли поездки на войну. Yes. And he wants to, you to hear about the casus belli reason itself why he went to war. I'd, I'd love to hear why. I'm, I'm very interested in, in Coombs, his life, his service, uh, who, who he is. So, yeah, feel free to tell me absolutely whatever. Рассказ будет не очень короткий, но я постараюсь уложиться в формат, уложиться в короткий период. It will be a long story, but I will try to tell it short. Perfect. Начну с того, что я не ездил на Донбасс на восток Украины в 2014-2015 году. Let's start from the point that he didn't went to the Ukraine civil war during the start of the civil war there in 2014. Correct. Yeah. Так как я воспринимал все-таки на тот момент эту войну, этот конфликт 2014-2015 года, как своего рода гражданскую войну на территории славян. Because at the moment he viewed that war as a civil war on Slavic territory. Таким образом, я, тем не менее, пытался помогать по гуманитарной линии нашим людям, которые переносили неудобства и лишения на этой территории нашим военнослужащим, ну, не военнослужащим, а бойцам, потому что там нашей армии не было, но у меня были друзья, которые туда ездили добровольцами на войну. Even though he didn't actually fought there, he still helped in humanitarian aid to our militants that were there as volunteers, to help out the Russian side of the Ukrainian civil war. То, что мне рассказывали мои друзья, непосредственные участники тех событий, повергало меня в некоторый шок. Я искренне не верил, что со стороны оппонентов, со стороны украинцев могут быть подобные проявления and uh, the stories that his friends told him from after returning from their volunteer service made him shocked because Kum heard a lot of different war crimes being made by the Ukrainian side during that civil war of Donbass. Соответственно, спустя некоторое время Этот конфликт был заморожен, но не остановлен. 
как мы знаем из истории. Uh, shortly after the start of the civil war in 2014, during the Poroshenko regime, that was the last moment. During the Poroshenko regime in 2015, uh, the civil war has basically became a frozen conflict, as it is in any other post-Soviet republic, for example, Pristnistrovye or. И уже спустя время, спустя время, я начал интересоваться, ну, я всегда интересовался на протяжении всего периода, с того момента, вот, повесткой русско-украинских отношений, но приехав с, со своей первой боевой командировки в составе частной военной компании, well, uh, fortunately, or unfortunately enough, after the end of this conflict and it being, being frozen, he started in a more actively way to read about it, ask his comrades about the conflict itself and looking the roots of this conflict. And shortly after he returned, after his first contract, you know where, <laughs> he started to... Я так или иначе начал заходить в новостные каналы в Телеграме. He started to monitor... Telegram channels for different information on the conflict itself. По цепочке ссылок и репостов я подписался на военных и околовоенных украинских каналов. After a small chain of, let's say, following other news channels, that were centered around the conflict, he subscribed to a few Ukrainian sources. Затем меня начали интересовать комментарии украин, которые сидят на этих каналах, потому что, как мы знаем, в каждом каждому телеграм-каналу есть второй параллельный канал, создающийся автоматически, где скопилированы все чаты, все комментарии под всеми постами канала. And after that he went to the comment section of those uh, news uh, Telegram channels. And as we know, in every Telegram channel, if there are open comments, there Uh, is opening a small other telegram chat with the comments themselves and the, the subscribers of the comment section of those telegram channels uh, that are able to chat there and have discussions. Соответственно, на тот момент, это был 2019 год, 2019 год, президентом Украины был некто Владимир Александрович Зеленский. И э, повестка этого человека 
политическая повестка этого человека говорила о его миролюбивости, по крайней мере, на период предвыборной гонки. Мне было интересно, соответствует ли она настроению простых граждан Украины. During the time it was 2019, he understood and found out that it was the vote and Vladimir Zelensky came to power and he had a very peaceful rhetoric and a lot of different proposals to end the conflict itself. And he wanted to watch if the people of Ukraine were alike to the Zelensky talk. Were they peaceful as him too? in their rhetorics and thoughts about the Russian people and the civil war on Donbass itself. И я обратил внимание, что э, буквально каждый пятый комментарий был э, насыщен русофовской риторикой. Я почувствовал себя, в принципе, э, что-то типа еврея в нацистской Германии. And basically every fifth comment there was uh, full of Russophobic rhetoric and hate towards Russia and the Russian people themselves. We're not talking about any kind of political or government discussion, about basic ethnic Russophobia. And at the moment he just understood that, well, he felt himself like a Jew in Nazi Germany there. Но поскольку я русский, у меня это не вызвало душевных страданий, мне захотелось уничтожать врагов моего народа и моего государства. But because he's a Russian and not a Jew, he understood that he doesn't want to feel any kind of spirit pain or, uh, let's call it sadness, and he just wanted to start destroying the enemy of his nation. Right. Да, и э, так или иначе, э, исходя из того, что данные комментарии я мониторил в течение трех лет э, до начала СВО, э, к началу СВО э, у меня уже э, было подготовлено его участие в данном конфликте. Спасибо простым украинским гражданам за то, что они писали тогда в соцсетях и где бы то ни было при своем появлении. And during the next three years before the start of the special military operation, he wants to thank the basic Ukrainian citizen who was writing enough Russophobic comments in different social media for him to have enough arguments to start fighting in this special military operation on the Russian side. Простые украинские настроения сделали 99% того, чего не смогла бы никогда сделать э, глупая, никчемная российская пропаганда. And basically, the 90% of his, let's call it, uh, anti 
radical Ukrainian uh, <laughs> radical anti-Russian Ukrainian propaganda basically made him a lot more angry toward Ukrainians than the stupid, unfortunate and absolutely useless Russian propaganda. Right. He wants to underline this kind of stuff that the Russian state propaganda is absolutely useless. It's stupid, it has no arguments, and Simonian is unfortunately... Well, her idealization, ideology is far from being uh, something common with the regular Russian Ivan, you see? Like the Russian, like the regular Joe in the States, the regular Russian man has absolutely nothing in common with Simonian or anything from the Kremlin propaganda. Right. Да. К тому же политические заявления высшего руководства Украины говорили лично мне о том, что Украина довольно большое и серьезное государство потихоньку превращается в как бы это назвать, ну, давай, раз уж мы тему Израиля поднимали уже, Украина потихоньку превращается в Палестину для Израиля, вот Украина для России превращается в Палестину для Израиля. Блять, это слишком сложно, чтобы перевести. хуйня, простите. Uh, sorry for the small talk between ourselves. It's fun, <laughs> it's fun. You don't understand a single thing. Well, the thing is, dear Kuhn tells us that uh, at the start of the special military operation, the Ukrainian political agenda uh, was viewing Russia as Palestine. They were viewing us, uh, they were viewing us as Israel views Palestine. They view us as the worst enemies for the local people. They view us as the most aggressive people, as the attackers, as the assassins, as the rapists and stuff. <laughs> but, but they made a lot more aggressive uh, things towards their own citizens who were having a Russian background. You see? Basically, Israel attacks a lot of aggressive things against Palestine, but inside Israel, they do a lot of aggressive things towards the common Arabic-speaking person there, during the Palestine person in Israel itself. And, uh, that, is, and that is what drove Coombe to then join uh, and fight within Ukraine as well, was seeing that rhetoric against Russian people. I see you are getting tired from his monologue. No, no, I'm, <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, I'm, I'm just following along. И морячки. Я хотел бы дать комментарий по вот этому моменту. Не просто настроение, а именно политические заявления официальных лиц, 
и характер политического развития этого государства. He wants to underline, he wants to give a comment about his monologue, he wants to underline that not just rhetorics of the Ukrainian people, but the official Ukrainian government and the official Ukrainian, uh, let's say, state and first persons there that were having that aggressive rhetoric against Russia itself and his, their actions against Russia. Uh, я не верил до своего участия в СВО в то, что Украина на Россию. Я не верил. Я думал, что да, это российская пропаганда. Uh, но со временем я просто выяснил, мне были показаны пруфы того, что Украина абсолютно серьезно и педантично относилась к подготовке агрессии в отношении нашей страны, нашего государства, в отношении Крымского полуострова, в отношении Донецкой Народной Республики, Луганской Народной Республики, а также южных регионов Российской Федерации. At first he was skeptical about the Russian, about the Ukrainian side trying and making their military prepared for a military invasion and starting a war against Russia. Well, it even now sounds for uh, the average man <laughs> some kind of craziness. But he got enough proofs from his colleagues and he understood it himself on practice that the Ukrainian government and their people with help from their partners of the West, were doing it slow, steady, because they had the political, uh, not just rhetoric, but the political motivation to uh, take back the Russian Crimea and to just destroy the, in their opinion, separatist states of Lugansk and Donetsk. And moreover, if they had the military upper hand in the conflict against Russian Federation, they had the plans to, as they would call, as they would have called it, the liberation of our southern regions of Kuban, Rostov, Don, Belgorod, Belgorod, etc. Речь идет даже не только от подготовки, речь идет о прямых террористических акциях в отношении определенных лиц на территории Российской Федерации. Не только на территории Российской Федерации, но и на тот момент Донецкой, Народ... Донецкой Народной Республики да, и Луганской Народной Республики. Вот этих вот двух серых зон. Это похищение людей, взрывы. Uh, просто политические убийства. Moreover, they didn't just had the political motivation, rhetorics and some kind of actions like shelling the Donetsk region. They basically were doing kidnaps, assassinations, um, blackmailing and other stuff against 
basically any non-Ukrainian activists in the regions of Crimea, Lugansk, Donetsk, and even on the internationally officially recognized Russian territories. Это все происходило параллельно повышению количества политических убийств внутри самой Украины, убийств журналистов, убийств политиков, уничтожения оппозиции. Если вы посмотрите статистику, то даже при Порошенко, наверное, убивали и сажали меньше оппозиционеров на Украине, чем при Зеленском. Moreover, especially well done they did it in the Ukrainian territory itself. They killed, assassinated, bombed a lot of uh, non-pro-government journalists, politicians, activists. Слушай, я не помню, кого еще там рахали? Активисты, журналисты, писатели, просто люди не согласны. Writers, might be even as far as I remember, там кто были студенты профсоюзов в Одессе. А, это одесские антифашисты какие-то. They even killed Antifa activists because uh, basically why not? Those Antifas are communists and uh, they want to join Russia. <laughs> Let's burn him. <laughs> Let's burn those guys in Odessa. It'll be so fun. <laughs> Sorry for the laughter. No, you're fine. Uh, as your viewers have told us, it's very um unnatural laughter and we are sadistic psychopaths even though <laughs> those are not us who burn people alive with children and women inside of the odessa house of the prof Soyuz. i'm not sure how you translate it to english i'm sorry that's okay but the point is during the regime of zelensky uh, the political assassinations were much more common than during Poroshenko or any other Ukrainian separatist president before him. Да, таким образом, в принципе, Украина превращалась в классическую банановую республику без законов с крайне агрессивным русофовским населением. Свобода, в которой заключалась лишь в том, что любой гражданин Украины может разбить лицо полицейскому, и ему ничего не будет, потому что этого гражданина Украины через пять минут отпустят по звонку из очередной нацистской организации. Это вся их свобода, которую они добились путем государственного переворота в 2014 году. Господи, так долго вещь, что ты начал. Что сейчас свобода хохлов, потому что разбить хлебальник менту и просто yeah, не well. сесть. Потому что And in such ways of the, let's say, logics of this political continuation, Ukraine might have become uh the european banana stand i don't know how to truly translate this term banana republic banana, banana republic i don't know a third world country that has a one political party full of neo-nazis 
fact that basically, yeah, even during the last few years, there were a lot of uh, situations where a neo-Nazi KTO veteran, the counter-terrorist veterans that were basically bombing <laughs> Donbass children. Anti-terrorist anti cooperation, sorry, the counter-terrorist cooperations are here in Russia. Oh shit, are we talking about civil war again? <laughs> <laughs> same countries, same problems. Don't you think the same? Anyways, anyways, uh, unfortunately, the Ukrainian regime was degrading a lot faster than it was during Poroshenko times, and the only kind of freedom they got after the government cope in 2014 is the right to beat an elder man for being a Soviet veteran and then getting out of jail from the first call of some kind of neo-Nazi political organization because uh, the dude is uh, a Teo veteran, uh, release him. He he served greatly our motherland and nobody needs to carry. He nearly killed that old man, that old fart doesn't have any kind of right because he's a filthy communist. That's, that's unfortunately <laughs> really disgusting in my opinion. And I am an anti-communist activist. <laughs> Right. So, so these things in particular, this is what made then Coom sign up, you know, and and then volunteer to go within Ukraine. But can you understand that from a perspective outside, like myself looking in? Can you ask Coom that what we have seen is Russia has been doing a lot of that in Ukraine. There's been a lot of bombings that have hit civilian targets. There's been a lot of civilians there who want to go more to the west than towards the eastern side with um, politics. That, can you ask him what he thinks about people's like right to self-determination? Что ты думаешь о том, что Россия, в принципе, сейчас точно так же типа в амбит этих свиней, что немаловажно непосредственно, что ты думаешь о том, что огромное количество людей бежит именно на Запад, а не в Россию? Потому что они считают, что мы их спасаем, грубо говоря. Мэтью, да, да, да. Я, мне есть что ответить на этот вопрос. Потому что это вопрос статистики. А я немножко разбираюсь в том, как делаются аналитические статистические отчеты. Well, he has what to answer on this question, because it's the question of statistics. And the dude is basically an analytic and knows something about statistics. А еще я знаю, как предоставляются статистические отчеты в open media. Also understands how those statistics and real information and facts are getting their ways into the open media. Мэтью. Давай начнем с того, что людей, которые из Украины бегут в Российскую Федерацию, служба безопасности Украины и главное управление разведки Украины заносит в черный список. Blacklist. Let's start from the beginning. First of all, 
any family, any citizen of Ukraine that tries to run to the Russian Federation is getting himself blacklisted by the local intelligence forces and services of the Ukrainian government. Для этих людей при возвращении на территорию в случае сохранения за территорией украинской власти ждет пыточная камера или ну, по минималу, какое-нибудь уголовное преследование со стороны украинских специальных служб. Those men and women and families that might return to Ukraine from the Russian Federation after they are getting themselves here, they are being awaited by the, with the torture chamber of those intelligence services in Ukraine. Or at least they might get themselves um, jurisdictional problems uh, from the intelligence services themselves for being basically traitors. Либо другой вариант, они могут пострадать физически, либо отделаться ушибами, либо погибнуть от действий нацистских подразделений, которые работают на территории Украины. Or, even though they didn't, let's say, they had some luck, they returned to Ukraine from the Russian Federation, didn't get self-tortured, didn't get any kind of jurisdictional consequences. They have a really huge, let's say, chance of getting physically not just bullied, basically beaten by neo-Nazi activists of the Ukrainian, let's say, half official neo-Nazi organizations and parties. Таким образом, власть страха на Украине всегда будет поддерживаться, и мотивация бежать в Россию снижается. Давай также осветим вопрос того, And in such a way, we do understand that the regime of fear isn't just installed in Ukraine, but it is being fed by the government and by all of the political activists, just because it helps them having their power. Uh, and let's discuss why do people run away on the first place. Заветная мечта среднестатистического украинца не в том, чтобы Украина была великой, а в том, чтобы можно было получить вид на жительство в Германии или Польше. Женщина с Украины очень хочет завести себе мужа иностранца, либо пойти работать в сферу интимных услуг. А мужчина готов работать э, за большие для Украины деньги на самой низовой работе. Поскольку э, в России запрещена проституция и запрещены наркотики, э, очень большому количеству людей с Украины не очень интересно посещать Российскую Федерацию и оставаться здесь работать. 
сюда приезжают люди, которые готовы строить честную жизнь. Это был длинный монолог, я сейчас заебусь переводить. The common man of Ukraine, the common citizen of Ukraine, unfortunately, is such a degraded person that the only things that he truly wants in his life is getting a citizenship of Germany, for example, of the European Union itself, and run away from Ukraine, from Eastern Europe itself, because... Uh, looking through the life of a commoner with a low IQ, it's much easier for a woman to become a prostitute somewhere in Berlin or, I don't know, Hamburg, than having a nice job in Kiev or <laughs> the Russian Federation. The men themselves prefer doing mostly drugs, doing some kind of... Не знаю, что они там долбят наркотиков. Да, гаши и рассыпку. Смокинг сам, гаши и шорс. I would like to add it that, well, I don't know, they are afraid, most of the men that I know from Ukraine, that run away from Ukraine itself after the start of the special military operation, run away to the West because they are afraid that if they will run to the Russian Federation, they will get drafted as soon as they get uh, citizenship here. And they basically run away, away just from the war. Do, yeah, yeah. do you see Ukrainians yeah. as lesser people to Russians? Because I, I vehemently disagree with, from my time in Ukraine, I disagree with that all they want to do is smoke, prostitution, whatever. That, that's not what I... That's not what I've seen at all. Um, but at the end of the day, if they want to do whatever they want, why is it Russia's influence then to then have that? I think I think that shirt may get you. <laughs> I know you love this t-shirt. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get me in trouble with with YouTube. You want me to put back my Apollo? I might, I might, I might get you to. <laughs> okay, I'll put it. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, but it's <laughs> it's the way it's going to have to be. So, no let, look, let's 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 not get like stuck in the weeds about um, differing ideologies between, I guess, Russia and Ukraine. Um, I'd like to move, I guess, the conversation more onto uh, Wagner Group itself and how it operates and how it's changed um, through this military operation. Let's conclude with the who thinks about who is lesser well, yeah. at the moment. And after that, I'll answer you the question about how the PMCs work in the special military operation. Вообще он подумал, исходя из того, как я перевел через задницу, что, скорее всего, ты рассматриваешь хохлов более, ну, большими дегенератами, чем русские, то есть меньшими, так скажем, да, нашими братьями, что-то типа, ну, как нацисты говорят, интерменши, да. Угу. И он с тобой типа не согласен. Очень интересно. Да, потому что, исходя из его опыта, большая часть украинцев, которых он встречал, действительно интеллигентные, хорошие люди со стремлениями в этой жизни. Ты как это можешь прокомментировать? Я могу это прокомментировать, что в Германии в Даркнете произошел взрыв детской проституции после 
начала СВО и массового притока украинских беженцев на территории Германии. Well, he wants to comment why he didn't say that he thinks that the Ukrainians are lesser people than us, but he wants to underline the fact that in the German dark web, after the start of the special military operation and the huge migration from Ukraine to Germany, in the dark web, the offer of child, child, child has grown far away more than it has ever been anywhere in the world, and especially as far as I understand Russia. Детская проституция. У нас за это вешают просто. Я в Гидере этого не видел. Он, он, да у нас линчуют, блин, за это просто. Ну, это. Ну, я не могу сказать, что этого нету. Да? Ну, типа, будем справедливы перед собой. Но а, есть статистика, да, занимательная. И она говорит о том, что вообще не только в Германии, просто в Германии платежеспособное население. Не только в Германии, но и по всему Евросоюзу произошел такой приток очень жесткий. Помимо просто обычной проституции, классической, где женщина 18 плюс предлагает свои услуги за деньги. Конечно. And uh, basically it happened not just in Germany, but in every other country in the European Union, but especially in Germany, because it has a much more, more high-level standard of living um people than in any other country in the European Union that have a lot of more cash and have uh, more active users of the dark web and uh, in the Russian Federation itself and the Russian dark web Hydra and at the moment Kraken well he didn't saw such offers just because our own drug dealers usually find those people and they lynch them. Anyways, let's finish this uh, talking about mentality and stuff like that <laughs> and continue with the PMC. Расскажи мне, как вообще работает специально отставить ЧВК в слово? Как они работают там? Что они делают? Какие ЧВК? Блять, про все немножко расскажу. Средний портрет дай. We will give you the average uh, image of the average PMC in the special military operation, not just Wagner, all right? Yeah, sure. Это... Oh, okay. Продолжайте, что? Да, 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 типа. А, ну хорошо. Да это обычные войсковые подразделения, по-хорошему, которые практически ничем не отличаются от линейных подразделений российской армии за исключением насыщенности тяжелым вооружением. Uh, they don't differ much from the regular Russian military, from the regular Russian forces, battalions, etc. And basically the main and only difference between a PMC and some kind of an infantry battalion of the Russian Federal Forces is having heavy equipment, heavy artillery, heavy armor and stuff like that. Uh, например, ну давай хорошо Вагнеров приведем пример. Uh, по сравнению с линейной 
какой-то дивизии, да, вот, штатной дивизии вооруженных сил Российской Федерации у подразделений группы Вагнер было значительно меньше бронетанковая составляющая, артиллерийская составляющая и других средств поддержки. Они были, но намного в меньшем количестве. For example, let's take the private military company of Wagner Group that we all love. Uh, they didn't have a lot of armor at all, and the average unit of the Wagner PMC had a lot less of armor, artillery, artillery shells, aircrafts, and any other kind of support than a regular, uh, than a regular uh, Minister of Defense unit. Uh, все компенсировалось э, исключительно высоким уровнем применения любого вооружения, которое поставляется в частные военные компании и добровольческие подразделения Российской Федерации. Профессионализм это могу назвать? Что? Профессионализм это могу назвать? Да, конечно. The only thing that made our PMCs better in some points of view from the regular militaries is just the high professionalism of the private military companies. The higher discipline, motivation. Ask a question, please. Yes. <laughs> uh, what about what we have seen of Wagner PMC and these PMCs committing crimes against humanity and war crimes not only in Ukraine but also around the world. Тут ну это про то, что в очередной раз типа наши наемники там, блядь, не уважают права ёбаных головорезов. А можно конкретизировать. Ну да, мы мы ненавидим зверей и животных. Но на том, что Ну как мы, они там Он утверждает, что типа в западном мире журналисты рассказывают о том, какие вот наёмники типа русские, да, нарушители законов, геноциды, все дела. Nice job, bro. No, uh, Wagner Group, it's not a black water. Uh, in Wagner Group uh, and uh, other volunteer units uh, respect the international right, uh, international humanitarian right. Uh, not full, but uh, <laughs> it's по сравнению с хохлами, блять, мои образцы просто, как это перевести? Я тебя понял. Unlike the Ukrainians and the Ukrainian neo-Nazi units like Azov, we are an example of being nice guys. Azov, Kraken, 14-я моторизованная бригада, бригада черных запорожцев, это все... Сейчас всех хохлов перечислить. Национальная гвардия Украины. СБУ Украины, Главное управление разведки. Вот это реально эталонные военные преступники. Это то просто, что я вспомнил. He listed you the first uh, Ukrainian services and battalions that came up in his mind that are much more 
aggressive door, uh, towards the international laws, I guess, of the Geneva Convention and stuff like that, that are much more aggressive and scary than any private military company uh, from the Russian Federation, I guess, or from, from the post-Soviet republics. И это очень хорошо, что до СВО не дожили такие подразделения, как Торнадо. And it's very nice and good that uh, some military organizations like Tornado didn't leave through to see the start of a special military operation. Да, они находились в тюрьме, но по очень тяжким обвинениям со стороны даже украинского правительства, но их выпустили, и мы их всех убили. <laughs> Those guys were in jail and prisons at the moment of the start of the special military operation because even in let's say Ukrainian standards those guys were absolutely insane and crazy but thank god the Ukrainian government granted them freedom gave them freedom for exchange for fighting for the side of the Ukrainian people and they killed them all <laughs> well, well speak, speaking then of prisoners what, what does Kuhn make of Wagner recruiting uh, prisoners, conscripting people, like getting prisoners to fight uh, in like the Bakhmut meat grinder. Yeah. Сражались насмерть и сражаются сейчас. В принципе, как очень высоко мотивированные профессиональные войны. Those men are true warriors. They have that warrior spirit. They are highly disciplined. These guys themselves are survivors, true survivors. Чтобы развеять толику западной пропаганды о Вагнере, я хотел бы просто дать один комментарий. Вагнер – это организация, где крайне 10 лет, ну не 10 лет, там получается 9 лет, действует законодательство военного времени в плане дисциплины. He wants to underline, especially from the point of view of a Western journalist, that in Wagner, for the last nine years, they uh, act, work according to the military law of doing things and doing the military work. И за любые гуманитарные преступления сотрудника компании ждет очень тяжелая расплата. Очень тяжелое наказание. And for doing any kind of crimes against the humanitarian law and against citizens and against your own colleagues, I guess. Ну, против своих там тоже, насколько я понимаю, там нажрешься, как скотина, обязательно пиздюк. Конечно, ну, да. If you do any kind of drugs, if you are fucking alcoholic and drinking like a monster, if you go against the locals, against the citizens, and basically a warmonger psychopath, you will get yourself, well, huge consequences from well, the 
Wagner Inner Security Force. Right. Um, what then about the the sledgehammer of Wagner that we've seen used against its own people and has become a symbol of then the group? Что ты думаешь про эту кувалду, потому что это типа, блядь, видимо, шокирует их. Да, кувалда должна шокировать вас. Для этого ее и придумали. That's the point of the sledgehammer. It is the symbol of the discipline. That if you are not disciplined, if you are a criminal, if you are not ready to become the part of the Wagner team, of how it works, of how it is disciplined, and how they view the world from being you know, justice and stuff like that, you will get punished. It's a very... Um, it's a very... maybe even violent, but it's a very... It's a very high statement. It's a very loud statement, you see. The thing is that this sledgehammer isn't just uh, let's do a war crime against some random citizen. No. It's the symbol of justice. Justice will get itself in a brutal way, but it will get itself working. Я не знаю всю статистику, я не знаю всю картину мира, но, насколько мне представляется, вот эта вот э, кувалда, так называемая, и использовалась вот только то количество раз, сколько вы видели видеороликов с ее участием. And he wants to underline that he doesn't know the true statistics, but as far as he knows, that legendary sledgehammer had been used as much as you have seen the videos of the sledgehammer doing justice два или три их там да да по-моему я один видел может два ну да два one or two videos only это чистой воды пиар и все it's just a pr and propaganda of the group to be brutal cool and stuff like that ни одного честного человека не пострадало <laughs> Not a single justful person didn't get harmed during those videos. Right, right. So earl earlier in this, you spoke um, that Coombe fought for patriotism rather than money. How then does he feel about the leader of his group, Prigozhin, maybe being taken out? Well, it looks like he was taken out by the Russian Federation. Он спрашивает, несмотря на то, что ты пошел в Вагнере, типа, как патриот, а не за бабло, как ты рассматриваешь то, что Пригожина, скорее всего, убили, причем убила именно Российская Федерация, судя по всему? Как я Причем Российская Федерация. Я об этом писал у себя в паблике. Это очень долгий разговор. Это... Комментируй, брат. Господи. Во-первых, Пригожина не убили. Легенды не умирают. 
<laughs> well, first of all, Prigozhin hadn't been killed because legends don't die. Okay. But does he does he feel betrayal though? Does it feel like Wagner has fought many Wagner soldiers have died in 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 Ukraine fighting? Does it feel does he feel betrayed by his own government? Matthew, пойми меня правильно. Вот грубо говоря, то, что ты знаешь о России и о лицах принимающих решения в России. Возможно, немножечко не соответствует действительности. У нас есть люди, которые принимают очень правильные решения, они крайне умны. И принятие решения об убийстве человека по типу Пригожина – это очень тупой ход, который мог бы придумать только человек, находящийся на посту президента не слезающий с тяжелых наркотиков. Look, the thing is that in the Russian Federation itself things are made well not in ways. People that truly are in power here, people that truly have the rule over Russia and the people who do the decisions and act according to them, well, they aren't stupid. They are very much smart, wise, they have the intelligence that at least might have told them that killing Prigozhin is a very stupid idea, it will be absolutely not good. And moreover, it's kind of... Well, basically only a drug addict president who is doing a lot of cocaine would Right. Was Kuhn part of the mutiny against Moscow two months ago? два месяца назад был замечен в колоннах подожди надо говорить Мэтью, что я в СВО принимал участие в составе армейских подразделений в основном они только там я вообще в Агнерах не был на момент да я это пишу плюс-минус тогда ладно The thing is, Kum, during the special military operation, didn't sign a contract. During the special military operation, dear Kum was part of the regular Russian military and then was signed with two contracts with different other Russian private military companies. Я на момент марша Пригожина не был сотрудником ЧВК Вагнер точно. А кем ты был, он тебе скажет? Я был гражданским. И, да, и, и меня... Ты, блядь, со мной рядом тот день был. И меня физически не было в Москве. Мы в провинциях для русскоговорящих, да? Well, look, the thing is, uh, during the Wagner mutiny two months ago, dear Kum was already a civilian. He just returned from his latest contract, and, uh, well, basically, him and me were drinking tea 
here in Brunet. Right. What what does what are your both of your thoughts against that mutiny? What what do you think about that? Are you on the side of uh, Prigozhin and Wagner PMC or in the side of the Kremlin? На чистоне бы ты был, если бы ты участвовал в справедливости. Ну вот сейчас э, сотрудники ЦРУ посмотрят этот э, стрим и выйдут на меня и будут вербовать меня, чтобы я создавал здесь ЦРУшное подходе. Если, если я скажу, что я поддерживал Вагнеров. А если я скажу, что не поддерживал Вагнеров то на меня выйдут ФСБшники и заставят быть их нештатником. Блядь, сложно, сложный вопрос. Лук, and will try to make him part of some kind of an anti-Russian resistance movement. But if he will answer that he was supporting Kremlin, FSB agents will try to contact him and make him hit their asset. So his answer will be... Положение дел на фронте, и оно не было столь ужасным, как подумать, и из-за чего произошел этот марш. Но справедливость в этом марше присутствовала без сомнений. Люди хотели, Пригожин хотел, скорее всего, показать руководству, Министерство обороны Российской Федерации свои намерения, свой протест показать ярче, чем делал это до марша с экранов компьютеров через соцсети. Well, the main point of this march itself was justice. Uh, during the end of their operation in the special military operation uh, Wagner already solved a lot of issues and mistakes that were common during their let's say active activity in the special military operation um, he wanted he wanted justice he wanted to show the let's call them the headquarters of the Ministry of Defense his protest. He showed them his protest. He made some justice for a lot of people that are serving in the special military operation zone. And he achieved his goal from this so-called mutiny. Я считаю, что это очень яркий и сильный шаг, но подозреваю, что в каких-то моментах он был не совсем продуман. Что такое? Что в свое время, ну, в очередь повлияло на результат этого марша? He thinks that it's a really strong and let's say it's it's a very strong act that they did 
but unfortunately a few details were not sharpened enough and it didn't work out as most of them expected it to be right within the pmcs are there many westerners fighting ты видел западников ваших чувака ну кого-то запада наших чувака да вообще в чувака в чувака вагнер были подразделения состоящие из представителей одной из языковой группы они присутствовали in Wagner PMC itself there are a few units that have common language basically a few units it means that there is a unit of English speakers there is a unit of French speakers there is a unit of German speakers there is a unit of Arabic speakers it is not an international legion of course but there are different units with let's say western and other non-russian citizens serving there больше добровольцев я видел в добровольческих подразделениях иностранных добровольцев именно я видел в подразделениях бывшей народной милиции ДНР там действительно были люди которые приехали из очень далека и вот каким-то образом выполняли какую-то полезную работу не обязательно они воевали he have seen a lot of different uh, non-russian citizens serving in the uh, folk militia of Donetsk and they didn't just fought most of them were doing humanitarian missions and those citizens were mostly from far away lands from Eastern Europe. Was there any Australians? Австралийцы знаешь каких там? Конечно нет. Of course not. <laughs> you need to be the first one, will you? <laughs> oh, what is the PMC's openness to things like like journalists? Like if a Western journalist wanted to come and film talk to the to the members of a group like this is it possible is it impossible or is it just russian state media or the pmc's own media ну и в принципе был бы журналистом подразделения. К сожалению, Мэтью, я не отвечаю за информационное сопровождение какого-либо подразделения и не могу тебе абсолютно определенно сказать отношение руководства этого подразделения, какое бы оно ни было, к присутствию иностранных журналистов. Но мой мониторинга СМИ говорит о том, что если вы являетесь действительно свободным и открытым журналистом, не аффилированным с государством вашего основного подданства, 
не зависящие финансово от каких-то деструктивных сил, то вы можете приехать в Донецк, в Луганск, вообще в Россию и вести, в принципе, свободную, даже несколько критичную деятельность в рамках своих журналистских полномочий и компетенций. Переводи. Алкаян, сделать, я подули немножко. Look, uh, dear Kum is not part of any kind of, let's say, commander or any kind of headquarters of any kind of PMC in the Russian Federation or outside of it. He is unable to answer you, but the, let's say, common sense in such battalions and uh, PMCs is, it depends mostly on the commanding officers and the information center of the PMC. Um, but, but, usually, and there are different international journalists who are, let's say, free-minded, are not being paid by any destructive uh, forces and have uh, sometimes in basically critical opinions about the Russian Federation are able and usually don't have any kind of problems with visiting and working in Lugansk and Donetsk regions. Да, в принципе, на самом деле, если Мэтью будет заинтересован, пусть подумает над тем, чтобы действительно приехать и поработать, конечно, не на линии боевого соприкосновения, так как по соображениям безопасности вас очень сильно будут отговаривать, жалеть, но все равно могут пустить в сопровождении людей. Все расстраиваются и охуеют. Ну да, как бы так оно и бывает. Потому что Россия не Украина, и как мы все знаем, на Украине запрещено посещение представителями СМИ линии боевого соприкосновения. One hour is too much for me. <laughs> Anyways, dear Kum says that if you are personally interested, he might help you with visiting any, well, some kind of Russian federal, might be battalions or any kind other units. And basically there already were a few journalists that we, we personally, not we personally, but we as a whole, as the let's say, gray zone, or, I don't know, как еще назвать на жизнь, комьюнити? Что-что, комьюнити? Добровольческое сообщество. Well, our volunteer community has experience to, let's say, host uh, non-Russian journalists. Uh, we don't guarantee you that you are able, you will be able to visit the front itself, and by saying the front, I mean the line of sight when you see already your enemy and you 
work against the chair with bullet weaponry. But if you will be insisting, we might help you visit those points as well. But if you will die, we'll be absolutely upset and it will make us very sad. Don't do that, please. <laughs> so the next question was going to be, has Kum come across um, any foreign fighters, any uh, volunteers from Western countries that have volunteered in Ukraine? Расскажи, пожалуйста, про свой опыт того, как ты так или иначе взаимодействовал с иностранными волонтерами, которые воевали на стороне поросят. Я взаимодействовал с ними посредством АК-74, модернизированного ВОК-17 и квадрокоптера. В основном так, да, иногда я использовал РГД-5 и F1. Взаимодействие было продуктивным. Я жив, а они нет. В основном это были граждане иностранного государства поляки да, и грузины на стороне хохлов. С наемниками или там, я не знаю, как, с волонтерами, которые работали на нашей стороне, я не взаимодействовал потому что они не были ни у меня в подчинении, ни в соседнем подразделении. Я просто знаю об их присутствии, но конкретно с ними не работал. Well, he did work with international volunteers that were fighting on the Ukrainian side, and usually he was working with them with an AK-74M, with VOG-17, and... Uh, different variety of our weapons, such as drones, quadrocopters, and stuff like that. Unfortunately, as I understand, he didn't talk to them much. They preferred to be silent because, unfortunately, they were dead after trying to talk to Mr. Kuhn with their weaponry as well. And uh, those mostly were citizens of Poland, Georgia, in his radio talk that he heard over from the other side, he heard mostly Polish. <laughs> but but uh, on the Russian side, he didn't saw any kind of other volunteers than Russian because. Well, not his or neighbor battalions and uh, units didn't recruit non-Russian citizens. And how were this? How was the skill level between those the Ukrainian soldiers and the the Western soldiers in Ukraine compared to Kum and his battalion? Were they well? Were they well trained? Were they a formidable enemy? <laughs> нашего противника и сравнив, пожалуйста, с науками противника, со своими науками, науками своего подразделения. Он именно про навыки украинцев спрашивает или иностранных специалистов? Он разбил свой вопрос и про хохлов, и про пшеков. Я так скажу, с того момента, как... Соединенные Штаты начали поставлять своих инструкторов в ВСУ для обучения новоприбывших военнослужащих. 
уровень подготовки в СУ значительно снизился. Нет, поворот. Окей, let me translate this part, because I need to translate it literally. From the moment when the Americans and NATO forces started sending instructors to instruct the military forces of Ukraine, their level of skill had fallen below the ground and become much worse than when Ukrainians were fighting themselves. Например, могу сказать, что как как специалисты редких профессий польская армия поставляет неплохих саперов и инженеров. From the side of specializations, the Poland itself had sent a lot of good sappers. Basically, they have sent a lot of good engineering specialists who are doing nice defense locations for the Ukrainian side. Только в разрезе высокотехнологического вооружения американцы, британцы, французы, все вот эти вот кадровые подразделения, которые привыкли работать с систем Хаймарс, систем Патриот и использовать другое высокотехнологичное западное вооружение. Эти специалисты действительно отрабатывают, они... Не просто так едят свой хлеб, в принципе, но их тоже убивают, к счастью. Ну, так получается, они же на войну приехали, да? Не прогулка, пой. Вот, давай вот переведем такой момент, просто укоротим, что специалисты технического характера, приезжающие из Запада, они показывают себя нормально. То есть, ну, не могу судить доподлинно, но западное вооружение высокотехнологичное работает. Technical specialists from France, Germany, the United States, Britain and other Western countries that send their volunteers, we don't actually know, are they really volunteers, uh, show themselves really good fighters, really good specialists in terms of using highly, uh, high, technically, high, technically intelligent, uh, maybe even superior technical things like uh, Patriot, Hemers and other artillery and anti-air. Yes. And they show themselves really skilled. They show themselves themselves really good, and they truly have the right to to eat their own bread. Let's call it like that. It's a Russian phrase. I don't actually know how to translate it in a more literature way to English. I'm sorry once again for not being a professional no, that, interpreter. No, it it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Я, я хотел бы еще добавить, что вот э, специалисты по ПВО, 
которые приехали с установкой Патриот и стояли под Киевом, это действительно высококлассные специалисты. Они успели запустить по кинжалу, по-моему, порядка шести ракет. Ну, после чего они были уничтожены этим кинжалом, который пытались сбить, но они успели. He wants to give a compliment to a Patriot unit with Western instructors in it. They managed to send six rockets into our Kinjal rocket before they got themselves hammered with our rocket. It's a really nice uh, rate of fire, in his opinion, and he truly appreciates it. Okay. Um, oh, uh, that, that will be a good soundbite sound bite for me. Um, why, why then um, Why then does Coombe think that Russia is struggling? So if Russia is so powerful and the West, you know, the, the training there has you know, decreased the Ukrainian forces, like you said, which I would disagree with, but why then is Russia struggling against its smaller neighbor, both in military power and numerical numbers? How is Russia struggling in this fight? Он не согласен с тем, что мы децимируем их бойцов и спрашивает, почему ты считаешь, что, ну, почему ты, короче, ответь на вопрос, почему вооруженные силы Российской Федерации, в принципе, наша машина, так э, завязла в этом конфликте и не может уже некоторое время продвигаться вглубь Украины, так скажем, для ее тотального освобождения от абсолютно сепаратистского правительства. Это очень обширный вопрос. Я это понимаешь, перевожу просто потому, что я могу, а на деле ты так понял. Тут вопрос. Блин, это... <смех> реально вопрос какой-то довольно некорректный. Если бы я был э, одноклеточным редником или рогулем, я бы ответил э, что-нибудь в два предложения, но, к сожалению... Мое высшее образование не позволяет мне отвечать настолько примитивно. Давай ответим. Давай я переведу момент. First of all, he is very confused and he doesn't really knows how to answer this question in a matter of a few phrases. Because, unfortunately, he has a higher education and he is not a redneck to answer such truly difficult questions in a matter of a few words. He is not laconic about it. <laughs> Continue. Хорошо. У меня на этот вопрос есть ответ, который находится, в принципе, в сфере политической, около конспирологической. Uh, his answer will be a more, let's call it, political and even conspirological one. Во-первых, война началась из-за того, что uh, произошел некоторый... Uh, как пока по-русски будет? Также. Некоторые... Ошибки со стороны, наверное, политического руководства, потому что войну можно было бы избежать в случае, если 
Ну, наше руководство, политическое руководство Российской Федерации пыталось избежать войны так называемым договорником. Переведи, переводи просто по фразе хотя бы. Ты хотел сказать, что Российская Федерация не хотела сделать договорняк или пыталась? Пыталась сделать договор... договорняк до начала своего. Well, his answer, his first phrase that he wanted me to translate is that the Russian federal government tried to. Um... Uh, we're talking too much already, my throat is sore and it's too late, <laughs> so it'll be a hard thing to translate, I'm sorry, my dear comrade. Uh, look, uh, the Russian government, the Russian political government uh, tried to uh, make a small agreement, um, how do you call it, a behind-scene agreement with the Ukrainian government that is not that wasn't public and uh, tried this war not to be поэтому к затяжной войне к затяжной войне российское руководство просто не готовилось that's why the russian government didn't even uh, trained or prepared for a long-term warfare. К войне дольше продолжительнее, чем три месяца. For a war much more long-term than three months. И та военная машина, которая сейчас работает в России, она была построена буквально за один год. And the war doctrine that is currently in the Russian Federation, our style of warfare, had been evolving for only an, a year. And basically we at the moment have a, a fresh, let's say, military intelligence. Right. Being part of these PMCs, uh, things like this, Kum, how does like the average civilian take that in Russia? Like if you were to tell someone that you were part of Wagner PMC or one of these other groups, how does the average Russian view that? Do they view you as a hero? Do they view you as a villain, as a criminal? I'm, I'm not sure. That's the question. Как средний русский гражданин рассматривает тебя, когда узнает, что ты был наемником? Как русского солдата. I think you understood that. <laughs> They view him just as a Russian soldier. Right. Как защитника Родины. As a defender of the Marland. Как uh, русского патриота. As a Russian patriot. Uh, с этим у нас нету проблемы. Uh, у нас, uh, повторюсь, uh, мотивация идти защищать родину у э, сотрудников группы Вагнера или э, других подразделений э, добровольцев не деньги это прежде всего э, любовь к своему отечеству once again I basically answered you the first question you asked us during this interview that the 
uh, average mercenary in Russia, in a Russian PMC, views this job uh, from the patriotic values. It is going there first for the from the love towards his motherland, and only then, maybe in the third place, they look over any kind of uh, financial benefits. Right. And that civilians in Russia don't see any difference between a typical infantryman and a, a Wagner PMC soldier? They see that just as a defender? Гражданские видят какую-то разницу между нашим пехотинцем и нашим бойцом добровольческого подразделения ДПС ЧВК. Репутация группы Вагнера очень высока в народе. Даже где-то может быть излишне, а может быть заслуженно, романтизировано. Потому что это подразделение является наиболее эффективным подразделением, наверное, во всем мире, пехотным подразделением общевойскового спектра. Это слишком специально будет. Сейчас переводите, я хуею. Специальный четко. В принципе, около переведем. Look, the thing is that in the Russian society they view the average mercenary from the private military company of uh, Wagner Group in a much more higher and romanticized way because the reputation of the Wagner Group is viewed as uh, the most infantry force in the world. Say that again, sorry. It just cut out. Uh, they view the Wagner PMC as the most elite infantry force in the world. Right. That's why they act and respect accordingly. Right. Now, in my notes, um, I have the, that Coombe was injured. Um, can you talk us through that? Was that an injury in the in the battlefield? У него в записках отмечено, что ты был ранен. Расскажи, где это произошло и как? Кто же тебе сказал-то такое? Кто это тут? Да, я действительно был ранен. У меня было по классификации тяжелое ранение. А где? Это важно. Где территориально? Не-не-не, в принципе, где. А, где мне прилетела пуля в бок между плитбронежилета. First of all, he really was injured in a intense in intense combat. He got injured by a bullet in between two armor plates. Basically, he got injured into the chest. Yeah. Uh, the back of the chest. He got injured in the back of the chest with a bullet. Во время штурмовой операции. During a storm assault operation. Will Will he return to fighting? Will Will Coombe sign another contract with the minister with the military or with PMC? Uh, 
Я после ранения уже две командировки отмотал. Русских не убить. He did two contracts after that injury because right. you can't kill Russian. Right. Well, we have we have seen high Or like from uh, from the movie of Guy Ritchie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we have seen very high Russian casualty figures. Has has Coom lost many of his friends? Do you believe the the figures are as high as people say? No. Да, я считаю, у нас действительно достаточно много потерь. Действительно достаточно много потерь. Это это факт, потому что это третья мировая война. Причине очень большого количества военнослужащих с обеих сторон. К счастью, к счастью, наши потери соотносятся с украинскими как один к четырем, а где-то один к семи. И их мобилизационный резерв тает намного быстрее. Да, да, у нас довольно эффективная армия, как ни странно. Let me think about how I should accordingly translate this huge answer. First of all, he agrees that we truly have high, um, high, I forgot the word again. <laughs> we have a lot of losses. We lost a lot of good men, we lost a lot of good soldiers, infantry, tanksmen, cruisemen, everyone. We lost too much men, to be honest. But, since it's the Third World War, basically, because there are too much high technical specialists from all over the world in this conflict, and there are too much people in it fighting from both sides, well, we lose accordingly to the enemy. Moreover, according to our statistics, we know that, well, there is four losses on the Ukrainian side to match one hour loss. In some situations and parts of the front, there are seven to one ratio of losses, where the seven are our enemies. Right. Or opponents. I'm not sure how to ethically answer and say opponents or enemies. How do you say, Willie? Yeah, that 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 fits. That that's in the correct English. Let's wait for a few seconds. Yeah, no worries. Because dear Kum wants to smoke as well. <laughs> no, that's fine. Well, we could chat about something else, and I don't know. Uh, ask questions not related to the fucking war. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. How's everything going in um, in Moscow? <laughs> well, how about this? You, you, I saw before you're drinking a Red Bull. I can't see what the stuff is in front of you, but how, how are like the sanctions affecting things like this? I've, I've seen that Heineken has just pulled out today or yesterday. Look, to be honest, uh, as I answered previously, well. I see more and more different uh, products from the West than I've ever seen before because the third-party agreements that are signed between the Russian Federation, our neighbors, 
sometimes Iran, sometimes even India, and the Western companies ended up with too much products from the West. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I see a can of Coca-Cola. In some places, it is cheaper than it was before the war. Да, у нас Coca-Cola из Азербайджана, Ирана, там Киргизии, из Польши очень много Coca-Cola. We are even having Coca-Cola from Poland. <laughs> Not talking about other countries from Central Asia. Yeah. Well, what's like the outlook like from from you know yourself and Kum's um, perspective? Like, what what do you think of someone like like myself? Do you see us as like a Western enemy? Do you see us as I don't know. Look, we don't we were unable to view you as an enemy, and you need to understand that from the single point that we are talking to you. We're discussing stuff, answering your questions. Some of them might be a bit stupid for us, for our opinion, but we still try to answer it, uh, them with our whole heart. And we don't view you as our enemy. We don't view other journalists and our citizens of the West as our enemies. We view enemies only those who are Russophobic, want to kill us, and want to enslave and rape our children. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dear Kum says that those people who want to destroy our country as a whole, our civilization and our even current regime and government, even though in some cases we don't like it ourselves, we view those people as our enemies too. Because uh, a civil war is the worst thing that could happen to our country. It's the worst thing that anyone could live through, if he lives through a civil war, of course. <clears throat> so, that's kind of it. We live near the land, you see. We try to view our world in a more humble position than some social justice warriors do. Because we live in the Russian Federation. You live in Australia. I don't know where the f that is. Is it somewhere near Kurilsk? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe near Africa. Uh, I don't uh, I speak Russian. Or... <laughs> the thing is, truly... Uh, oh, we know where it's Australia. It's, uh, <laughs> Joke. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm upside down. <laughs> Hello, HR. Image boards are live. Unknown ship. Watermelon KFC. <laughs> uh, it's well, a way to amuse ourselves in some way as well. And basically, well, why not having friends? Uh, to be honest, I even have a friend that fought against the Russian Federation during the 2014 and 2015. Right. I know the guy, he was a mercenary from Germany, he fought against the people of Donbass, and even he said that those Azov militants that he encountered 
are degenerates. Uh, they have nothing in common with National Socialism. That's why he ran away from there and didn't prolong his contract. When he got an offer to fight for Ukraine once again, one year ago, after the start of the special military operation, he told them to, guys, uh, you better leave me alone because you are Slavics. Uh, find a common answer yourselves. I don't want to be part of it anymore because the guy, well, he got himself uh, in a small story where the locals were having a conflict with him for being a non-Ukrainian. They asked him, dude, what the hell are you doing on our land? Get out of here. You came here to earn money. Go home, dude. We will figure out ourselves this conflict. And the dude understood that basically the regular citizen doesn't want this conflict at all. That's the thing. And it also answers why am I answering you, talking to you, and helped you with translating words of wisdom of Mr. Kum. <laughs> what what does what what does Kum think about um, the Wagner PMC potentially being put as a um, a terrorist organization internationally? So I think we could start now, yeah, the interview. Continue yeah, if we're good, interview. if we're good, yep. Yeah, sure, let's continue. What is, what is uh, the clean glass? What, what's the, what's the, I can't, what's the bottle of clean glass in the middle? Uh, you know, there is uh, not just a legend. I can't, I can't, I have to fucking ask it. I'll answer what kind of situations there were with this beautiful glass cleaner, yeah? This liquid is very popular among niche alcoholics in Eastern Europe. <laughs> if you've ever been Romania, Ukraine, Poland, Russia, even Kazakhstan or Lithuania, you will find out that these guys are getting drunk by drinking glass cleaner. And we decided you to show the legend to be true. No. <laughs> That's one of the ways to drink it. The only true way to drink it, to be honest, is through spraying it. <laughs> <laughs> a very fresh breath after it. Mm. <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> delicious. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> you guys, you, <laughs> you guys are fucked. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh my god, you got me. <laughs> I've been still so, looking at it the entire time, thinking, "What the fuck? Like, what? What is that?" <laughs> and, and, yeah, I wasn't expecting you guys to be then drinking it. Приезжай в Россию, мы научим тебя пить стекломоры. You should visit Russia. We will teach you how to drink glass cleaner and other stuff that are well usually not drinkable in the West. <laughs> it's non-drinkable everywhere. Uh, 
You try and sell me. You, the opposite. you spend two hours trying to talk about, you know, Russian history and this and that. And then you're like, we're drinking glass cleaner. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Да, ирония в том, что на Западе принято считать, что русские пьют только водку. На самом деле мы еще пьем и стекломой. The irony of the situation is that in the West they think that Russians drink only vodka. We also drink glass cleaner. Это очень хорошо. Very funny. Matthew, you can repeat your question. Last question. We are ready to answer questions and do the interview. Continue the interview. Yes, yes. You've made it easy for me after that. Really, one of the. One of the one of the last things I wanted to ask uh, is: Are there any combat stories that Kum can share with us about his time uh, in Ukraine fighting? Can you share with us some боевыми stories from his time in the Ukrainian special военной операции? Желательно обезличенно и пока ручь я мог перевести почему. У меня, к сожалению, нету веселых историй. У меня есть Просто история, история обычной Unfortunately, it doesn't have any kind of funny stories or entertaining stories, but he does owes a bunch of uh, the regular wartime warfare stories that he could tell you, and <coughs> he will do so. Собственно, когда я уехал в первую командировку э, на СВО. Я действовал в составе армейского подразделения легкой пехоты. When he went to the special operation at the start of it, he was part of a light infantry battalion. Э, соответственно, мы э, действовали и работали в интересах э, воздушно-десантных войск. They were acting and fighting in the interest of the paratrooper forces of the Russian Ministry of Defense. Нашими задачами была стандартная фронтовая работа, как разведка до разведка, и, соответственно, штурмовые действия. The regular tasks were mostly intelligence service, recognition service, and counter-recognition service. And, of course, there were assault storm operations. By the way, could you give me a more specific term to call those storm operations? Um, How do you... Yeah, I, th I think them. I think storm would actually... I think that works pretty well. I think people understand that term as well. Um, for like a storm operation, Excellent. like an attack, yeah, ground attack, yeah. Соответственно, исходя из того, что наше подразделение 
было, скажем так, состояло из мотивированных людей. Наше снаряжение, наверное, наш внешний вид солдат российской армии. Since they were a highly motivated force and they had a lot of true professionals in their unit, their standard look was much higher and much more professional than any other infantryman of the Russian force, of the Russian military, of the Russian army. Ну, плохо ты на меня не накидывай. Не, просто перевожу, много синонимов кидаю, потому что некоторые слова могу неправильно перевести. Я понял. Вот, на любом участке фронта, где бы мы ни появлялись, одним своим видом мы, в принципе, поднимали боевой дух военнослужащих, находящихся на передовой. Any part of the front where they were sighted by the regular Russian army, well, basically they heightened, made their morals higher because of their looks. К счастью, в наших интересах могли действовать довольно серьезные огневые средства. Uh, thank God they had the opportunity to use uh, high fire power, high military strength, I don't know, maybe things like big mortars and stuff. And rockets. Rockets, big mortars, artillery. И мы на тот момент закрывали достаточно серьезные участки фронта, либо решали задачи по прорыву фронта. And they were covering largely the most difficult parts of the front and were solving tasks of assaulting and breaking the front. Ну и расскажу, наверное, самую интересную задачу, которая у меня была на которой я, собственно, и получил ранение. He will tell you the story how he got his injury. Возможно, твои зрители, Мэтью, тоже не поверят в такую историю, не поверят во что-то подобное, но я красиво рассказывать не могу, но вот, ну, не умею, поэтому продолжу давай. And it might be that your viewers or you personally won't believe the story because, first of all, he doesn't know how to tell stories good. He doesn't have the, let's say, storytelling ability. <laughs> But he will try to describe the situation and the story itself in the most good way possible. Yes. The best way possible. Uh, yep. Попал на передовую в окопы к ребятам, которые были в Буче. He got himself into the trenches to guys who were in Буче. И на тот момент мы должны были работать в интересах именно этого подразделения. And at that moment, they were supposed to work in the interests of that battalion. 
that war in those trenches. Задача была преодолеть лицо полоса. Ты сможешь перевести? Преодолеть участок фронта, сломать участок фронта и выбить оттуда оппонента всеми доступными средствами. They had the task of breaking the front that was located in the middle of a forest that is usually grows between fields. In the Slavic culture, we usually have fields, and those fields are having a border of a small forest. In those forests, there's a lot of game, and basically it helps us to do agriculture in our traditional way. So basically, those guys had the task to assault one of those forests. So basically, you should understand, we have a forest as our border. There was a bunch of Hohols there, uh, sorry, Ukrainians. <laughs> there was a bunch of Ukrainian militants there, and they had to break through the field with different, I don't know, core crops. Some kind of wheat breed on that field, and they had the task to break through that field, uh, work against those entrenched Ukrainians, and capture they, their trenches. Помимо разговоров о Гастомельской операции и операции в Буче, или там какая операция, блядь, это что они просто стояли там, а потом съебались. Ну, в общем, о Гастомеле и Буче. Я обратил внимание на характер личного состава наших войск и довольно-таки сильно удивился. Нет, в контексте будет чуть проще. Я понял. Это были довольно молодые ребята, которые к своим 20 годам, там 22 годам, повидали некоторое дерьмо. Это легко перевести, да? Вот. И тем не менее, несмотря на молодой возраст, они имели очень серьезные намерения и несгибаемый характер. While living in the trenches of that particular infantry battalion, they were telling mostly stories about Gostomir, about Bucha and other crazy related stuff from the news at the moment. And he had uh, noticed that the uh, most average age of those soldiers of the battalion of the infantry he was particularly in at the moment was 20 years but according to what he saw from their faces they have seen some shit in their lives already they have seen and lived through a few interesting stories and they had the, the experience they had the honor to be called true warriors несмотря на это при поступлении задач на Взятие ротного опорного пункта, в котором э, находилась целая рота СВУ, ВСУ, СВУ, 
ВСУ, и рядом находилась лесопосадка с подкреплением из НГУ, Нацгвардии Украины. Ребят хотели послать туда, но, к их счастью, приехали мы. At first, that infantry battalion had the task to storm uh, that particular forest against company of Ukrainian infantry. That was first by a company of a national battalion. Right. But then those guys arrived from the light infantry And we continue the story. Да, и, соответственно, мы, мы пошли ломать фронт самостоятельно. That's why at the end they were sent the light infantry to assault them independently, basically alone, without that infantry battalion. Потому что у нас было чувство собственного превосходства над всеми остальными. Because they had the snobism and the upper hand mentality throwing them in front of everybody else. На Кураже мы решили заскочить в этот ротный опорный пункт, в котором находилось под сотни человек в окопах, количеством в 17 человек. They had been very courageous, in my opinion, stupid, with the number of 70 light infantrymen. They had jumped inside trenches of that Ukrainian company of infantry. Well, and there were basically a hundred of those guys. И нам как дали пизды. Как я To translate that phrase in the most literature way possible, they got wrecked. Right. Meaning, uh, meaning, um, meaning, Kum's people got wrecked. The Russians got wrecked. Yeah, the seventeen guys yep. got absolutely destroyed by that hundred Ukrainian forces, hundred <coughs> uh, Ukrainian soldiers. Мы не потеряли никого погибшими, но половина из тех, кто пытался произвести штурм. Были ранены, в том числе и я. They didn't lost a single man from those 17, but half of them got injured and wounded, whom included. Несмотря на активную работу артиллерии по нам и колоссально превосходящий нас личный состав по количеству, наши... Наше подразделение зашло в окоп, и после этого украинская сторона еще двое суток вывозила трупы раненых со своих позиций. And the funny part is that there were hundred, he wants to underline it, hundred Ukrainian soldiers in the enemy trenches. When they entered the trenches, 
enemy artillery was working really intense against them. And even though they strategically lost that battle, and tactically too, they managed to get away from there. And after the battle, two more days, Ukrainians were evacuating their own corpses from there. После этого наше грамотное руководство решило нанести ракетный удар по этому опорному пункту. Only after the storm, their very smart and effective headquarters decided that it's a good idea to send a rocket into those trenches of the enemy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he said that according to your smile and laughter, it's an international problem that the headquarters are usually a bit interesting thinkers. Yes, tell him it's 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 every military in the world that the light infantrymen are like, what the fuck are they doing up top? <laughs> Они, так это вишенка на торте в том, что они пока проводили разведку и пытались произвести цели наведения на этот опорный пункт, они потеряли пять беспилотных летательных аппаратов Орлан и на шестую ракету украинской ПВО они потеряли саму саму ракету Что? мы ну наши командиры бля я хуй знает если честно братан это... uh, he wants to underline another interesting and amusing fact from our headquarters that during the uh, while they were trying to bomb shell and hit with a missile that particular trench, their headquarter uh, reconnaissance unit had lost five, five, five drones of reconnaissance. And the missile itself, because the Ukrainians had an anti-missile system there. Yes. <laughs> Они со второго потерянного орлана не поняли, что там работает ПВО. He wants to underline that the funny part of this situation is not the rocket being hit by an anti-rocket system, but the fact that the headquarters didn't understood that there is an anti-missile system after the second drone was hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, not for every headquarters, you see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> так, э, ну, в итоге, на самом деле, <coughs> те, кто остался, мне это уже увезли. Uh -huh. э, те, кто остался на позиции, кого не выбило, э, <coughs> через по-моему, три или четыре дня в итоге штурманули эту позицию и выбили все оставки, потому что к ним не успели подвести пополнение. 
while Dear Kuhn was already evacuated to the hospital, after all of these uh, events, he had a talk with his old brothers in arms, and they told them him that <clears throat> in a few days later, uh, they just stormed those positions once again successfully. Right. Because the Ukrainian side didn't have reinforcements available to uh, support and uh, equip, re-equip with ammunition and other stuff, those trenches once more. Yep. That's a panorama night vision goggles you had there. They're not real ones. They're not. They're not real ones. It's just um, just for the background. Dear Kum says that he had seen a lot of interesting Chinese night vision goggles that look like that mm. on Ukrainian dead soldiers. Right. They are ten thousand dollars. Uh, the price is ten thousand dollars for those kind of goggles. Yes. Too expensive for very too expensive mm. for Russians. That's why we drink Siklamoy. Uh, oh. Glass washer. Yeah, clean glass, baby. <laughs> clean glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That has this has to me one of the most loose podcasts I've ever done in my life. He's drinking glass cleaner. Okay, fair enough. Well, guys, um, is there anything you think we haven't spoken about that you'd like to speak about? Ты бы хотел что-нибудь еще ему там рассказать, ответить на какой-то вопрос. Может, ему какой-то вопрос ты хочешь задать? Да. Хотелось бы, в принципе. Поскольку я не знаю Мэтью, да, чтобы он в двух словах описал свое знакомство с военным делом, служил, не служил, все откосил. Еще предложить ему накатить с нами, да, Но это когда в Россию приедет, ведро стекломония. Um, dear Kuhn wants to ask you about your military experience because Dear Kuhn doesn't know anything about you. Yes, I love to make interviews with cool journalists without telling anything about those journalists. Please don't be um, angry on me for that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Tell me about your military experience and about your service because even I am interested about it because, no, you didn't tell a lot of really interesting information that you might have told, to be honest. Um, yeah, okay. My, my service isn't, um, isn't that in-depth. I joined the infantry uh, in 2014. So... Yeah. Uh, and then I am a heavy weapons specialist uh, and a uh, combat first aider, like um, lower level medic in the infantry. Like before you go yeah. full medic, it's like one step below, and, but also anti-tank, anti um, like anti-armor 
So, of course, the um, the Western militaries uh, with our um, javelins, with our um, Carl Gustav and uh, law, we learn a lot mm -hmm. about your tanks, your vehicles. Um, like that that's what we learned to take out. Uh, and then I deployed to um, Afghanistan in 2017 uh, as a commander of uh, armored vehicles. Uh, and then I uh, came back and then was subsequently uh, promoted um, to being a, a low-level commander. Um, and then that was basically the end of my career. And now I um, am a journalist um, doing this and I have traveled um, like Ukraine um, extensively, um, Syria as well. Um, and I'm looking to make um, room back into Africa and Afghanistan uh, at some point. Знаком ли он ситуации в Буче? He wants you to tell him about Buche. <laughs> I uh, I actually don't have any experience from um, from Bucha. Uh, my <clears throat> my time was in and out, actually either side uh, of of Bucha. So I was in the um, Donetsk Oblast when the war started. I was in um, Kramatorsk, uh, and then I moved out of the country, uh, and then I was outside of Kiev for Bucha um, Erpine. That that happened. Uh, I only um, came into Bucha maybe two weeks after uh, Russia had been driven out um, of that area. So my first-hand experience there is is limited. Ну, он очень вежливо в форме говорит тебе, что в общем и целом, скорее всего, он поддерживает именно официальную версию со стороны, скажем так, западного пресса. Но буквально рассказывает о том, что Плюс-минус его там не было, он находился где-то под Киевом, и он приехал туда только через две недели после того, как все произошло, и наши войска покинули Бучу. А, то есть он был, ну, технически, да, он там отмечался. Понятно. То есть, ну, понятно, это как бы стандартное мнение об этом всем дерьме. Я, кстати, спрашивал у ребят, которые были в Буче, и которые ее покинули за буквально там день до прихода нациста-пропагандиста Боцмана. Малюта. Малюты. Малюточки. Вот. Спрашивал конкретно про вот эту ситуацию, потому что, ну, я думал, они типа могут чисто по приколу в окопе сказать, что типа, да, мы там всех разъебали. Но они сказали, что типа, чувак, это полная фухломицина, и просто людей накрыло там, и уничтожила артиллерия украинской, потому что они были без бронежилетов, а мы как военные были в бронежилетах, и мы быстро прыгнули в подвалы. In Bucha during that so-called massacre, <coughs> and he told us that uh, during. Uh, when, 
на раздаче. И, ну, типа, въебались. На, ну, на раздаче, соответственно. Uh, the, most of the civilians got themselves injured and killed by Ukrainian artillery strikes during uh, the Russian military, when the Russian military was giving out first aid kits, medicine, food, and other humanitarian aid. And the thing is that since the Russian military, even during uh, giving out such stuff and uh, an enemy territory, that's all, always wears armor and helmets. The civilians don't do that. And when the artillery strike started it, the soldiers basically all run away. Most of them got wounded, of course. <clears throat> and they already had the experience of what they should do during an artillery strike. Well, basically, you know, going prone and... Positive. And crawling away to safety. Unlike the citizens, they didn't have those skills. And kind of, well, he wants to underline that usually, usually, when people do stupid stuff or know somebody did a war crime, they start joking in and around the situation itself. Like, yeah, we did it for the loser, stuff like that. But those infantry boys he was talking to, they were outraged that the community viewed them as genociders. They were enraged. And as far as I understand, it was like a little bit of a joke, or they were asking them, or they were asking them, or they were they were enraged because after they retreated from Bucha, and the community international was screaming about the genocide they did there, where those boys were sent to Belarus for dislocation. And during those two weeks they had been spending in Belarus, there were uh, negotiated by different intelligence services and officers. And I more than sure that somebody even got tortured. I don't know. Из наших? Да. Ну, мне об этом неизвестно пока. Ну, я думаю, допросом не был зачем. They didn't negotiate like we here with tea and stuff. They were, well, in our, let's say, experience, when somebody is getting negotiated by an intelligence service officer, it's a really hardcore situation with uh, lots of violence. I'm not talking about broken noses and stuff, of course, but well, there might be some kind of physical approach to the process. Right. So, so the Russian intelligence service had did that against the Russian soldiers who were in Bucha because of the media downfall from this. Is that correct? Он спрашивает, правильно мы понимаем, что Русские силовики из числа оперативников жестко допрашивали всех, кто был в Буче после того, как мировая пресса устроила шумиху. Ну, 
я думаю, может быть, не всех, да, но офицерский состав, скорее всего, был опрошен с как минимум э, крайне рачительно и досконально, потому что это действительно очень серьезный инфоповод. Но в то же время российские службы безопасности замечательно мониторят то, что происходит на Украине. И знакомы с счетами судмедэкспертов в Киеве касаемо Бучи. Поэтому угу. они ну, не принимают хуйни. Да, да, да. Well, even though they might have didn't negotiated everyone, we are talking about common soldiers, contractors, and maybe minor officers, you know, under officer like sergeants and uh, the officers themselves were absolutely surely negotiated in a very hard manner. Right. Of course, Well, at the end, nobody got themselves in trouble just because our intelligence service had its hands on the morgue pathology anatomist reports from Kyiv. Coroner называется, по-моему, по, ну, по их классификации. Coroner? Coroner. Coroner? Coroner. Yes, yes, same as coroner morgue. Yes, same. Yes, yeah, understand. Yeah, that's it. Right. But there, but there was, but there, there, there is... But there is hard evidence that there were Russian war crimes committed in Bucha and Erpin as well, of camera footage. Реплика Марго Робби из кинофильма «Суисайд Склад». Ну, всем похер, мы же и так злодеи. Это такой бред, на самом деле. Мучим всех, будем уничтожать. Какого плана военные преступления? Вот вопрос, типа, то что там сортир спиздили у кого-то? Или, блядь, вырезали деревню. Ну, как бы и то, и другое. Это военное преступление, по большому счету. Там даже сортиры пиздить не надо. First of all, I wanted to answer with a quote of Марго Робби from Suicide Squad. Uh, ага, who gives a fuck? We are already the bad guys. In English, it might be in our, our words. Uh, first of all, I wanted to specify which kind of war crimes there were in Bucha, because stealing a toilet, you know, and killing a whole village are both war crimes. About what specific war crimes are you asking us about, and what you evidence could, could do they have? Yeah, well, there's there's fairly convincing C, um, CCTV, like um, security camera footage of. Um, what appear to be execution-style events, mass graves, satellite imagery, um, and accounts from people there as well about murder, uh, sexual assault, the things of this no, nature, torture. There, there's a lot of this. Mm. 
кстати, действительно, под Киевом был инцидент, когда каких-то четыре то ли бурята, то ли этих ну, каких-то оленеводов изнасиловали девочку под Киевом, ну, молодую девушку. Их четверых на следующий день расстреляли. Вот и все. Uh, he knows about an incident where four some kind of uh, beer herding Asians from northern Russia a young girl near Kyiv. Well, the next day those uh, bastards were shot. Good. Executed, in our words. You're right. Right. Well, guys... It's well. It's not. Even, it's early here now. It's seven thirty a.m. It's like there. Look, um, I'd like to thank thank you both um, for spending the best part of three hours with me and speaking openly um, and talking about your experience. It's very it's very interesting. Um, although and although we don't share the same opinion on on many things, um, it's good that we can have open dialogue and and speak like this. Он говорит, что он очень рад, что у нас была возможность три часа так посидеть, попиздеть, привести хорошо время, открыто пообщаться, все дела. Отлично, я надеюсь, мы когда-нибудь еще встретимся, когда... Ну, что-то такое еще перевести, добавить пару слов. А, да, очень было приятно познакомиться. Я в целом за мир во всем мире и против войны. Well, it's all dear Kum wants to say that he wants peace on earth and he doesn't like war at all. And it was pleasant for him to meet you. He is looking forward to meeting you personally and wants this dialogue to continue in a more, let's say, personal manner. So we could share a table together, have a drink of <laughs> and basically spend time together in a much more light and nice way, sharing the table, telling each other a few stories, and no wearing of stupid masks i guess yes yes well um spasiva ivan kum thank you i appreciate your time